You're listening to Sermons by the Park, the weekly sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. I'm Pastor Aaron Shepard, and our current sermon series is called A Way Out of No Way. These sermons are drawn from scriptures in the book of Exodus, a book that is all about who God is and who we are in relation to God. It speaks to those moments in our lives when we can feel stuck or uncertain about what comes next. The good news, friends, is God has a word for times like these. Here's this week's message. Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. Let us listen for God's word for us today. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord hath made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or male or female slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. Will you join me now in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. Holy God, we give you thanks that you have already drawn near to us here today. That you have given us the joy of your salvation and been present with us in the baptism of El. We ask now that you would abide with us a bit longer, O oh God and that you would continue to speak, for we hunger to hear your saving word. Do not let our errors and misgivings be an impediment to your grace, but allow the words proclaimed to become your word, creating in us new hearts, renewing in us a right spirit. We pray all these things through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, in November 1620... That storied vessel, the Mayflower, anchored up just 
off Cape Cod in the harbor at what is now uh, Provincetown. They had taken shelter there from stormy seas, and they were running low on provisions and supplies. The original intention of the passengers of the Mayflower, the Puritans who had come over from Europe to establish a new colony, was to actually join the pre-existing colonies in Virginia. That was their destination. But due to weather and the fact that they were running low on food, they harbored up, and some, some among them, said, maybe we should just all go our separate ways right here, right now. It turns out that even the famous Miles Standish, who if you've ever gone to the Plymouth Plantation, you know he was a big deal there in that original plantation. He was not actually a Puritan. And all of the Puritans on board the Mayflower started to get a little worried that Standish, who was a military man who actually knew how to do things like build a settlement, uh, protect it from invaders, etc., they were worried he would leave with all of his capable followers, leaving the Puritans hung out to dry. And so they negotiated what is known as the Mayflower Pact. It was a common agreement that, no, they would not go on to Virginia. They would stay here and establish a new British colony in a land they referred to as Northern Virginia. (laughs) Whoops. This new pact affirmed that together they would be governed as a civil society with a set of rules and statutes to which they would all promise all due submission and obedience. Here in a strange, new, and distant land in a time of great uncertainty, rules, laws, these were the things that the people wanted to provide order in the midst of chaos, to help them feel safe. And that is where we find the people of Israel in this week's text. They are in a new land, in uncertain times, and God meets them there with these rules, these laws, order in the midst of chaos. How many of you had to memorize the Ten Commandments at some point in your life? Yeah, yeah. How many of you promptly forgot those Ten Commandments? Don't worry, there'll be a test at the end. But of course, the Ten Commandments are something that is also fairly omnipresent. We even have a poster downstairs just right outside the Sunday school room. It says the Ten Commandments on them. In case you don't remember them, don't worry. There are plenty of reminders. They are familiar words reminding us about what God's laws are. But today, I want us to hear those words in a slightly different way. Because you see, the verb here that begins the whole passage that begins these Ten Commandments is not, in fact, command. God does not command these things. No, what does Scripture say? It says, then God spoke all of these things. Just as last week we talked a little bit about the Easter eggs hidden in the book of Exodus, this is another one of those moments where we recognize God's singular action from creation, of speaking, appearing here again. God is speaking here just as God spoke over the waters at creation. God does not intervene here as some kind of king making laws, but instead as a creator, an artist, 
shaping and reshaping this people, this people called Israel, whom God has claimed. And I think there's an important lesson here. I think in most times of uncertainty, we tend to fall back on tradition, on institutional memory, on rules and order, the way things have been given. But the lesson of this text is that God does not do that. God speaks. God creates. When God sees a new people at a new moment in a new place, God gets creative. And so these are not simply rules that we are supposed to follow, these Ten Commandments. They are a new way of being that reflects both who the people are that God has called and who God is. And you see this in the commandments themselves. Uh, The scripture says that we should remember the Sabbath. And of course, that's what you'll see on the poster. It says, remember the Sabbath. But then it says more. It says, you remember the Sabbath. Why? Because God created all things in seven days or six days. And on the seventh, God rested from God's labors. It's not enough to simply tell us that we should take a break every now and then. It's important that God establishes, emphasizing this need for rest. It's a strange thing to tell people in a new place at a new time. One has to imagine that those folks on the Mayflower probably didn't think a lot about taking rest as they were weathering a storm in a new land in a new place. They probably thought they had to get to work. So too, it seems a strange thing to tell the Israelites, having just escaped out of Egypt, having nothing to remember to rest. So it seems like an odd rule to impose, but of course, it's not just a rule. This is a statement about who God is. God is the one who rests. God is the one who waits. God is the one who does not rush ahead and instead takes time to consecrate, to attend to what is sacred. And so we too must be creative in our resting as God is creative creative in our waiting and creative in attending to sacred things. We tend to forget these little details of theological observations because, again, all we see are the posters with the rules, the do's and the do-nots. But the key question throughout the book of Exodus I mentioned last week, the key question is always, who are these people, Israel, and who is God to them? The constitution of the people the rules that will govern their togetherness, their society, it's inextricably bound to that theological dimension. So who God is matters. God is a creator, and so the people are called to be creative, to make a way out of no way, as the old saying goes. But here in verse 5, it also says that God is a jealous God, punishing the iniquities of the parents on the children's for three and four generations. That's one of those verses that really catches your attention, I think. Jealous is not a particularly good translation. It's a little bit overbearing in this case. Uh, Another translation that I like uh, simply says, God is a passionate God. A reminder that God is deeply invested in the life of these people, that God cares deeply about the ones God has called beloved. That investment of God's attention and care, of course, has its risks, even as it has its benefits. 
It says God punishes inequities. But, interestingly, it says that punishment doesn't fall on the perpetrator. It says that God punishes the children instead, even unto the third and fourth generation. Now, how is that fair? It's a scary thought. It's far removed from the image of a loving God, a God who cares deeply. Again, if God does love little children, as Jesus always said, it seems wrong that God would target the children for punishment. But I don't necessarily see it that way. I don't fear for the children. I fear for the parents. It's a rigorous, righteous standard that God holds us to for the sake of our children. I don't think this is a thinly veiled threat, though. I don't think it is um, a curse placed upon us. I think it's rather just an observation, an observation that most of us who are parents already know, that what we do as parents has lasting effects upon our children, and that sometimes we don't even see those effects for many, many years down the road. And this is true in many aspects of life, many areas of life, but I think it's especially true when it comes to the religious aspect of life. There was a book that came out last year called Handing Down the Faith. It was written by two sociologists, Christian Smith and Amy Adamchik. And it was the first time sociologists of religion had sort of sought to systematically study how it is that a religious orientation gets passed down from parents to children. And the findings of those sociologists just confirmed what we heard in the scripture today. They found that the single most important thing, the single most important influence on the religious lives of children, whether they're small, whether they're teens, whether they are adults, the single most important influence is the religious life of their parents. It doesn't matter as much if their friends go to church. It doesn't matter if they see things on social media or on TV. It doesn't matter where they live, who they are, even what faith we're talking about. The single determining factor of whether or not children have a religious orientation by the time they become adults is whether or not their parents authentically practice their faith. Importantly, though, they also note that it's not enough for parents to simply be zealous for the Lord in their own life. It's important that parents also cultivate a warm and affirming relationship with their children, creating a context where they can speak about complicated matters, difficult things, matters of faith and religion. It can't simply be that God and sacred things live here at the church building. They have to be spoken about at home. The other finding in this book is that it's important for a child to have at least one other adult with whom they have a relationship outside of their family who can serve as a mentor or a model for their religious life. And what happens at home is, of course, the most important thing, but it's important then to have other folks, especially in those teenage years, for kids to be able to go to and to talk to them. 
And so this is the findings of sociologists in 2021, but it's also what the people of God have known since they heard these words. I am a passionate God. Those who reject me, their children will suffer from that. But then God says this, I show steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. And that's critical. Yes, the punishment for rejecting God may last for a time, three and four generations, but the love of God, the love of God far, far outweighs that, even to the thousandth generation. There's this saying that you sometimes see on T-shirts and bumper stickers that says, here for a good time, not for a long time. Have you seen this before? But God flips that. God is here for a long time. And not necessarily just for the good times. God is concerned about the good times and the bad, the good people and those who are less redeemed. Indeed, Jesus said, I did not come to seek out the righteous. I didn't come out to seek those who have it all together. Instead, Jesus said, I came to find the lost. And so even those of us who are not perfect exemplars of Christ-like discipline, even we can remember that Christ came for us. Faith is not about following rules to the letter. It's about seeking out this spirit, this spirit of God's steadfast love given to us in Christ and present to us even now in the midst of our lives something that is available to us that we can draw on so that we can show love to those whose lives we touch. And that is the heart of all ten of these commandments. I'm not going to go through all ten of them because that would bore you to death. The thing you need to know is that they are all fundamentally about this, that the steadfast love of God is both generative and generational. It is something that creates life and continues to create life in each new generation. It's why the commandments tell us to honor our parents, to remember the generation that came before, even as it admonishes us to take care of the generations that come after. And so we honor our parents. They carried the torch of faith for us, and even if they didn't, even if they may have fallen away or spiritually strayed, well, the good news is that God gives us this extended family called church, this place where we can find others in older generations who will serve as spiritual parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles. We honor those gifts, and we honor those who, came, who come after by the way we can commit to being those people for our children. Even for those who don't have children, there are children around. As our questions indicate, they will look to you to see the example of faith, to see the example of God's steadfast love. And so, as heavy a burden as that may seem, we should take heart we should delight in the opportunity to show forth the steadfast love of God because God is not just here for the good times. God is here all the time, for the long run, with us always.
And so must we be as a people, with one another and with God for the long run. And how do you run a long race? One step at a time. Martin Luther King once said, take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase. You just got to take the first step. And baptism is a first step. And prayer is a first step. And saying the name of Jesus in your home or at your work or in the company of strangers, that can be a first step. We are all called then to take this first step and then another and then another. And like a stairway to heaven or a bridge over troubled waters or whatever metaphor you want to know, know this, that God's steadfast love will go forth with us every step of the way. Amen. To find out more about Union Congregational Church, you can visit our website at www.churchbythepark.org or you can find us on social media at Church by the Park. Our theme music this week is by Kings Canyon. Thank you once again for taking the time to listen. I hope God's word has blessed you richly. And until we meet again, may God's peace be with you.